I must strongly stress right now that uh, when I do say acid, I mean that's just the title or the saying given to that type of drug. And it's nothing to do with music. I, I'm not here to promote the music. I'm here to promote drugs. Acid, I mean acid. Acid. When I do acid. 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 What a great track. Got a great track to start out with. Well, you're listening to Talking Tunes. And joining me today is... Click Strip. How you doing, man? Yeah, good, mate. Thank you very much. Ready to roll, ready to listen to some tracks today. Good stuff, good stuff. I'm starting out with Luke Viper, a bit of acid. I mean, a lot of talk about this one, so we'll get into it anyway. But I think acid is just one of those things that everybody loves, right? Yeah, absolutely. Being born on 303 day, so 3rd of March, I feel like uh, it is my fate to uh, <laughs> listen to a lot of acid and produce a lot of acid. I, I just can't help myself. It's absolutely fantastic sounds. Yeah, there's an idea, you know, that things like Dr. Martins uh, unite all people from all genres, you know. Uh, and I think acid is the thing that unites all people from all different areas within dance music, whether it's EDM, breakcore, jungle, you name it. Everyone somewhere has put a bit of acid in there, right? Yeah, absolutely. You probably hear it in random things like Romanian folk music <laughs> um, or or just Romanian pop music. Or, literally, it's absolutely everywhere, like you said. Just because it's so great, you, people can't help themselves. Excellent. Luke Viper, so why did you pick this tune? Well, Luke Viper is uh, an absolute legend. Um, I just admire him because he's been going nearly 30 years now. And I doubt myself probably every day, every week, I think, oh, should I carry on making tunes or should I stop? What, what, what is it that keeps me going? And then I look at Luke Viper, he's just relentless. He's been, he's been going for 30 years and he just releases album after album, EP after EP, and it just gets better and better as it goes. His style changes. I just admire him as a producer. And I hope that I'd be making tunes in 30 years time. So um, also the fact that it's acid. I just love acid and this tune portrays exactly that feeling so it just um, resonates with me bit of jungle as well can't go wrong with a bit of jungle right yeah jungle acid is like uh, the, the bread and butter of oh. of, <laughs> of raven free pass music isn't it absolutely big time acid I mean acid I think the thing, I mean, you must know this yourself, right? The thing with making music or any sort of art, you have to please yourself first. You have to be your own judge and everything else is just secondary, right? That's a hard thing to do, though. It's a hard thing to do, I know. Yeah, I, I struggle with this a lot because there's always the, the battle between I want to make tunes for the dance floor. I want to make tunes that people can jump around to and have a good skank. And then there's the other idea that I want to make tunes to please myself, I want to make tunes that I like, uh, I just want to let myself be completely creatively free. So there's always that struggle between the two ideas in my head. Um, I tend to lean more towards just doing what the fuck I want <laughs> um, and I've stopped, I've stopped caring too much about making tunes that would sound good on a big sound system or tunes that people would go, yeah, yeah, that's sick, or tunes that people would go and finger to. I, I don't care about that anymore. I just want to make tunes that I want to make. Is that tune you made that you gave over to uh, Tough Shit that I put out on one of the breakcore uh, releases that we do? The the flaming butthole, yeah, with uh, all the samples of Trump in it. It's like it's not really a dance floor smasher, but it's a great tune to listen to, and it's the sort of thing that you know. I think we talked about it a little bit, but it's like, well, I like it. I do like it. I like listening to it. It's entertaining. It's like, yeah, why why wouldn't you put it out? You know, uh, you just have to please yourself. But it's things like that that really make you stand out. You know, or not just you, but just any artist. It's those. It's those. I always say to people, you know, when they, when they when they when they give me a bit of music and say, oh, tell me what you think about this. I always say two things for any tune. One is, will DJs play it? If DJs won't play it, you're kind of going to be dropped into obscurity. And the other thing is, is, if I meet someone in a club and I say, oh yeah, yeah, that tune by the guy, 
I need to be able to say in like three seconds what that tune is. And if it's, oh yeah, the one with the donk on it, or you know, the one with that real good kick on it, you're not gonna know what I'm talking about. But if I say, oh yeah, it's the one with Donald Trump in it, talking about injecting bleach from that guy from Liverpool, we know what we're talking about, right? Yeah, I think music is at this very core uh, a source of entertainment, isn't it? So there's different ways in which you can be entertained. You, you can think a tune is funny, or you can tune, you can think a tune has got incredible sound design on it. Um, and sometimes it's not. It's just nice to mix the two. Uh, it's nice to combine something funny that wouldn't necessarily be a banger with some break beats and some nice basses, and see what happens there. See what you can get. This tune now, Ian Prime and G Jones, these two guys when they get together, they make some absolutely amazing music. Yeah, so G Jones is the reason why I'm producing music today. It got shared to me in maybe around 2014 when he was kind of popular, but he wasn't what he is now. Now he's headlining festivals all over the world. Yeah, I got my bandmate send me this EP that he's done, and I just I got completely obsessed with it. I would just play it all the time. I'd, I'd literally play all of his tunes, show all of my mates his, you know, G Jones, and they weren't really that interested. But I just became completely obsessed with his uh, music production style and the sound design. And at that point, I'd dabbled in Ableton a little bit before because I used to record myself playing drums all the time. Um, so I thought, fuck it, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try and be G. Jones. So I spent the next <laughs> couple of years <laughs> trying to, try to be G. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> so when are you headlining Tomorrowland? <laughs> Not tomorrow, that's for sure. And, uh, living in Sheffield that time, it was, it was quite difficult because the idea that making tunes that are a bit weird or different from your local scene is quite difficult to get booked. So I don't think I even played a show until after three or four years after I started making music just because there was no, absolutely no demand for it at all. And Sheffield was dominated by bassline and drum and bass. So I didn't really have a chance to play this out um, until I met the uh, Suffolk guys and uh, Gareth from Terra in Scotland. And, and then I started doing, uh, doing shows that sort of had a more different approach to, to the standard, just this genre or this other genre. It was all a mash of all the genres and diversity. And I think that's, that's, that's a great thing to do. There's a lot to talk about with this, there's a lot to unpack. I think it's like that ticks so many boxes for me in terms of bass, IDM, sound design. There's just so much to enjoy in EPROM and G. Jones's music. Not just this tune, but so many others. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's when you know someone's reached the uh, almost pinnacle of their music production. Well, actually, I hope not. I hope he, he makes even better tunes in the future so I can just stand there with my jaw to the, to the floor, drooling. <laughs> but yeah, great tune. Yeah, there's, there's certain tunes he's done as well that I've listened to, and you know, when you, when you, when you, if you explain them to somebody, they just sound like just anything else. But there's a certain artistry to them, there's a certain talent that they have. Yeah, that just brings it. It's, it's hard to put your finger on it, but it just brings it to the next level. And do you know what's amazing about G. Jones? I think the first couple of albums, he's done them completely in Ableton without using any any external plugins. I think he had a, he had a Moog sim. I think he's got a Moog, Moog mother, maybe. But most of his production is just done with basic Ableton. That is terrible. That is terrible. So that means that anybody out there with Ableton is like, well, there you go. That's what G. Jones did with Ableton. What, what are you doing with it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's almost like a challenge. Uh, it makes you think, if you can do it, why can't I? And that's what I thought at the time. Yeah, absolutely.
Hey, look, we've got a lot of things to talk about as well. The other thing I was going to say about G. Jones and Eprom, but we're already on to the next tune, which is Mad Zack and Sapphire. Tune's called Fortress. It is, they're quite mainstream guys, and I, I love underground. Like, I'm literally you know, <laughs> underground, underground, underground. So, to like someone that's like a, a, a main stager in a festival feels a bit weird, but then, yeah, you can't argue with the music, can you? He came from the underground, as probably do most artists, but the difference is yeah. a lot of artists that come from the underground, when they start becoming popular, then it becomes almost like an addiction. I've seen it time and time again with bands and producers and DJs. I think there's, there's a pattern there that the bigger you get, the less underground and more mainstream your music becomes to please as many ears as possible. I'm not sure if this comes from their contracts that they sign with the bigger labels, or but there's there is a, a, a pattern there, and I think it's killing creativity mostly. A lot of my favorite uh, bands and, and artists they've they've become mainstream now, and I don't listen to to their new stuff anymore because it's, it's just too simple. To there's nothing exciting about it. It's just another recipe that they they have to, to sell as much as possible, and that's that's not what should it should be about. That's that's why I don't like the mainstream because it just gets more and more watered down. Lowest common denominator. What's going to sell the most units? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, look, we're on Madzak and Sapphire, a tune called Fortress. Tell me a bit about it. I chose this because it's similar to G. Jones. Madzak is similar to G. Jones in, uh, in terms of sound production. I think Madzak is a bit darker and more journeyous. It takes you through this mad glitchy journey into his mind and into into his world. And I absolutely love it. Uh, this part we're listening to right now, especially, it's just, it's just perfection. This tune is 10 out of 10 for me in terms of build up, in terms of sound design, and in terms of feel. It, it makes me feel like I'm on this um, extraterrestrial planet fighting aliens with Laser guns. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely great. And it's, this is at the time in 2014, 2015, when I was listening to this kind of stuff, this is what was going on in my head. I, I wanted to take myself away as far as possible from planet Earth and see how far I can go with, with music. And Matt Zach does exactly that for me. Excellent. How long, you, how long have you been making music for? As in digital electronic music? So it's hard to say. I started out using Ableton because I wanted to record myself playing drums, uh, doing drum covers on YouTube. Uh, I did that about, that was about 12 years ago now. And discovering Ableton, I realized, oh, look, there's audio effects, there's instruments. I wonder what all of this is. At the same time, discovering drum and bass and dubstep, I probably was about 15. And I thought, I put two and two together. I've got this little bit of software that can make all of these sounds that I'm listening to and really enjoying that moment. So why don't I try and put something together? But really, I wasn't taking it seriously at the time. I'm, I think I'm more of an uh, instrumentalist. I prefer playing instruments to music production. But G. Jones convinced me to uh, take music production seriously. So I'd say I've been taking it seriously since about 2014, 2015. So that's seven years now, is it? Yeah. All right. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Wow, so you've come on a hell of a long way then in seven years because it's not easy to, to, to make a name for yourself and, and to really find your own style as well. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been quite a journey, to be honest. Um, I don't think I've achieved any sort of meaningful success or anything like that, but that's not what I was looking for. For me, it's just my personal musical journey. And if, if other people like my tunes and other people want to listen to them or, or play them live or request that I come and play at the shows, then that's fantastic. But recently I've realized that this musical journey is first and foremost mine. And like we, like we were saying earlier, right now, I'm just trying to please myself. <laughs> Now 
Next tune, Gorshit Shuffle Punk. Gorshit, top name in uh, Breakcore. Lovely guy as well. We did a talking tunes with him as well before. Uh, why'd you pick this one out? It's a bit chip tuny. Yeah, it's interesting. I picked this one out because it's got the funk, man. This tune has got the funk. It's got the groove. And I love a tune that is very, very different from an artist's usual style. And I, lo- I love it when an artist does- is not afraid to explore you know, different grooves and different styles and different, different feels outside of his usual production. But in particular, yeah, it's, it's groovy. That's why I picked it. <laughs> So you're based in Liverpool at the moment? Yeah, so I used to live in Sheffield a couple of years ago. I moved to Liverpool. Absolutely loving getting Liverpool at the moment. The scene is kind of raw. It's not well-defined like in cities like Bristol or, or London, where there's already a big scene for, for each genre in particular. Liverpool is sort of a mishmash of everything. It's very multi-genre. There's always nights that you would go to that you, you wouldn't really expect to, to find that anywhere else but Liverpool. I think it's a very, very good city to be in to be creative. I'm probably going to upset a lot of people now, but I know I know a good few artists living in Liverpool. Uh, Shoebill would be one of them. Uh, I know there's a heck of a lot more people in Liverpool as well. Recently, it's come to, you know, it's come onto the map a little bit. I know they had often not guys there as well recently, didn't they? Bit of a break course scene there. Yeah, there is. Uh, it's starting to, to grow a little bit. We put on a party last August and we had SpongeBob SquareWave on last last August and that was that was fantastic. That was a really good night. But I think mostly it's um, it seems to be leaning towards the, the tech side of things. There's a lot of kick drums in Liverpool, I can tell you that. It's good though, it's good though, because what you're saying about how it's tricky to balance doing what you want to do but also trying to fit in with your local scene. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've just abandoned that. I, I don't try to fit in with my local scene. I'm Ireland's number one breakcore radio show because guess what? I'm the only breakcore radio show. <laughs> if, you, if you list off the uh, breakcore promoters in Ireland, the list is me and my friends that we did breakcore gigs with. <laughs> There's a few people. There is a few people, and there are a lot of the breakcore artists over here as well. Um, like Sheer Khan and Harmful Logic and uh, Julian Knife and Chop. There's a lot of people, but again, th- these are people, there is no seed. They're, these are people working away in isolation. And I think at the end of the day, that's sort of what you got to do. You've got to work away in isolation. Uh, and if you don't fit your local scene, you just got to do your thing regardless. Because the internet, right? The internet. Yeah, I think there's an advantage living in a smaller place than somewhere like Bristol or London, for example. Because with the scene being smaller, there's more room for new things. There's more room to to create something new. If you think about it, in a bigger place where there's already scenes that have been established for years and years, it's quite hard to come up with something new because people tend to want what they know. People tend to go to nights that they know exactly what they're getting. You know, people want to go to a drum bass night or a jungle night or a bass line night. They'll know, they know what they're getting and that's 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 fine for them. But I think in a smaller place where there's not a lot of uh, established scenes based on a genre or another, there's more freedom to do whatever you want, basically. People are more musically starved, let's say. So people are more inclined to, to accept that there will be different things in the scene and they're willing to explore them. Represent the fucking planet. There's no other click what cost this shit. And it's all real, this shit cost real. Push it to the max. Represent the fucking planet. So look, let's real quick talk about restless leg syndrome. Represent the fucking planet. What on earth is going on here? This is a nice one. It's got a sort of ethnic sound to it. Yeah, I absolutely love these guys, Restless Leg Syndrome. So they're a producer duo from Austria and they're both turntablist champions. I'm not sure exactly which competition they're a champion in, but you can hear it in the track. I think this is a, a great example of using turntablism in a, in a track and it sound, it's absolutely banging. It's inspired me to, uh, to get a little turntable for scratching and put some of that into my tunes. And it, it's actually, they're a huge inspiration for me. Obviously being from, uh, from Romania, 
this kind of sound is is very close to home. Uh, I grew up listening to a lot of Turkish and Middle Eastern music, so combining the Eastern roots and the West is is one of the things that I, that I love most. Going back to the idea of living in Bristol, I think if you lived in Bristol and you made Brazilian fartcore, you'd be lucky to make the top 10 DJs who play Brazilian fartcore because it's like, you know, there's no, there are no niches in Bristol music scene, right? Yeah, everyone in the nan is a DJ in Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Komodo, Grants and Khan. AMK. Did you put this order together or did I put this order together? I forget now. The or- I put the order. You put the order together, yeah, because the order's going nicely. That you got a nice theme going from one to the next, yeah. So AMK, what can you say? This is probably one of my favourite ever tunes. And it's because, like I was saying earlier, it incorporates music that's very close to, to my heart, Turkish music. So my musical journey started when I was about 12 or 13, playing Darbuka. Darbuka is a traditional Turkish uh, percussion drum and some of my uh, Roma colleagues in my in my classroom in school they used to bring bring the Darbukas to school and, and have jams in, in the breaks and sometimes during class as well <laughs> they didn't really care, they just wanted to play the Darbuka and I just fell in love with the sound of it one year going on holiday with my family in Turkey I saw I saw a Darbuka in a bazaar and went over and haggled with the uh, with the merchant and, and brought a Darbuka home from that day on became best mates with my colleagues in class and we would just have Darbuka jams all day long. They'd come, come over to my place or go in car parks or anywhere really. We'd just be outside playing the Darbuka together and that was that was a beautiful feeling that I'll, I'll never really be able to forget. And I carried on playing, even now, I sit down and play Darbuka listening to Turkish music. And at the time in Romania, this is one of the few music genres that you could access before the internet. There was only sort of tunes that you could find on your local area network or CDs that you could borrow from friends. And I grew up listening to mostly Turkish music because it's it's all I could get my hands on. And it was perfect for playing Darbuka along to. So yeah, it's got it's got it's got a special place in my heart. I absolutely love um, sort of Turkish Middle Eastern music and when it's combined with Western sounds and modern electronic production, it just hits the spot for me, 100 percent I'm thinking about a rabbit hole that I probably don't want to go down, but I wonder what the history of that region is for music. Because, you know, you talk about, you talk about like a thousand years ago type of stuff, you know? Because, you know, in Europe, we would have had, you know, people playing the lute and you got back and Tchaikovsky and all these sort of people doing their thing as well. But like, that, uh, I don't know, Middle East, as you say, you know, and you go right back to some of those cultures, they set so many foundations for other styles of music, really. Especially African music, obviously, would be hugely influential in everything that came from America, and then obviously everything in America that came to electronic music, etc. You know, I'd say if you trace those roots right the way back, right the right the way back, it's gonna be it's gonna be somewhere like you say, Middle East or Africa. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that you can trace the roots by looking at the migration of populations. So large amounts of people moving from one area to another. Though obviously there was a lot more of that going on a couple of hundred years ago and they would bring their own traditions and their own music with them and that would sort of fuse with the local music. So if you listen to sort of Macedonian music, it sounds a bit like 
Turkish and Greek music, but also sounds a bit like Romanian. If you drop a pin anywhere in the Balkans, the music will be slightly different, but you can see where it's coming from. I can't speak, I can't speak about other areas of the world, but being a, a music lover in Eastern Europe, I've explored all the all different styles of, of music in Bulgaria and Macedonia and Turkey and Greece. And you can see, you can see the similarities there. You know, whenever people from Western Europe or America, they talk about music theory, what they're really talking about is Western music theory from the 18th century <laughs> and totally ignoring everything else that's going on in the planet in terms of music theory. And it's like, yeah, actually, yeah, when you talk about music theory, yeah, it's like Beethoven and stuff like that. And, and so much, so much more out there that it just gets totally overlooked. Yeah, for sure. Western music is very limited in terms of the amount you can on, you've only got 12 notes, right? But other styles of music, for example, I think I might be wrong here, but I think traditional Indian music doesn't follow the uh, 12 notes system. The sitar has way more than 12 notes and they're not in the traditional scale that we would be using. This is a rabbit hole. I don't want to, I'm going to keep away from that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can see myself on Wikipedia later on tonight going, oh wow, I never knew that. So one thing that brought that to mind was the Zildjian symbols. I didn't realize until the other day, they're actually 400 years old, that company, uh, and they originated in Turkey. Didn't know that. Yeah, I think that some Turkish companies are, uh, are even older than that, probably. So I wonder, 400 years ago, what, what on earth were they doing with symbols? Obviously, there wasn't a drum kit or anything like that available at the time. So what were they using the symbols for? Some sort of musical venture, I imagine? But what would the primitive drum kit would have looked like 400 years ago. Who knows? Who knows? But though, we need to talk about Nerve, Jabon. Jabon, is that how I pronounce that one? I think so, yeah. Okay, so what's what's going on here? So Nerve, right, I discovered this band because, so believe it or not, this band is 100% live. Everything that you're hearing now is not sampled breakbeats and processed. It's a live drummer playing all of these mad breakbeats. In my opinion, Jojo Mayer, he's called the drummer, is probably the best drummer in the world. He started playing when he was about three. He's 55 now, I think. He studied with Buddy Rich. So he's been playing drums for over 50 years. And I remember spending hours and hours and hours watching his uh, drumming tutorial videos a couple of years ago and watching his technique on the snare because I wanted to be able to to play jungle drums on a drum kit, right? Oh, good luck. <laughs> yeah, and accidentally discovered his band Nerve, which is a live jungle drum bassy kind of live band. They're just incredible. How you can recreate that feel of electronic music 100% live, how, how can you be so tight in a live setting? It's just, it's just inhuman, I think. You can't play a snare roll live. Well, he does, he does. Really? Yeah, he can play, he can play a snare roll with one hand probably. Oh my God. <laughs> He, he does things like playing triplets on his bass drum, like he can just do that with one foot. It's just, it's just. Oh my god! I need, to, I need to go on YouTube that. Actually, the live video from from Jabon is the perfect example. So Nerve Jabon, watch the live video. This drummer will blow your mind. So you're still playing drums, do you play any other instruments? Yeah, funny enough, I transitioned to playing bass a couple of years ago, so I've been playing bass in this uh, sludge metal band for about seven years now. I do still like to play drums because it's my first love. I like jamming, I like jamming a lot more than being in, a, in the same sort of setting with the same musicians. Every week I prefer going in a practice room with a new set of musicians or a couple of mates that I jam with regularly and inviting in other people and just having a, a big jam and letting ourselves be creative. Because I think there's two sides to being a musician, isn't there? There's the uh, songwriting part where you all sit together and you go, oh, does this riff go with this riff? And does this drum beat match with what the bass is playing? That sort of thing. And then there's the complete free jam version of it where you all just listen to each other in real time and play music. I guess that's what jazzy <laughs> sort of musician would say. But I think I'm, I tend to lean towards the, uh, the jazzy side. I like just being creative right there in real time and just having a nice old jam.
I always say disorganized chaos is where the magic happens. That's where the creativity happens. You know, be it music or anything else that you do in life. If you want to be creative, throw all process out the window and just do whatever you feel like doing. I've always felt like following musical rules is somehow restrictive. I think our rules are there to be broken. And I've met a lot of musicians that are very, very good technically, but they, they're afraid to step out of the conventional Western music rules that they've learned in school or with, with their teachers. And because of that, there's a lot of repetition, isn't there? Uh, a lot of the music sounds very similar. You can, you can hear artists borrowing ideas from other artists, but it's quite rare that you find something so out there, so different from everything else. And when you do, it's because they've just completely broken all, all of the laws of, uh, of music production. So Stacker and Skynet, Clockwork. We're going a bit into drum and bass here now. So we're on dangerous ground, but you know, we've been talking for a little bit. I think we got to know each other. So, you know, we, we can tolerate some drum and bass. So I think if you're a drum and bass lover, like I am. I'm not. You're not. <laughs> well, maybe if you listen to this album, you'll, uh, you'll become one, who knows? All right, okay. But as a drum and bass lover, this song on this album from 2001, I think the album's called, also called Clockwork is absolutely genre-defining. To think that this was produced in 2001 is absolutely incredible because you can hear the roots of Eurofunk and sort of more modern, more techie, you know, high level of uh, production sort of drone bass in this. If you compare it to other drone bass tunes from 2001, this, this is just 10 levels above everything else and it's still relevant now. I still play this, this tune sometimes out and people, people go for it. all the drum and bass and I probably love all the drum and bass more than I love the new stuff is the fact that given um, the limited amount of resources and sort of musical accessories that they had at the time they probably had a couple of synths a couple of sequencers they didn't have access to hundreds of gigabytes of samples and every plugin in the world that you can imagine at the time so it all sounds very very different you take an album from, from the earlier era of drum and bass and compare it with another one, they'll be so different. There's so much creativity going on there. Whereas I feel like recently, drum and bass has stagnated a little bit. And that's probably because everyone's just reusing the same sample packs, the same samples, the same synth processes. Right now, you can just go on YouTube and Google how to make a folk horn and search how to make a folk horn. And you can make a folk horn in like five minutes. And then you can make another folk horn track to add to the, the pile of folk horn tracks that all sound almost identical because it's the easier thing to do isn't it the foghorn is good and foghorn is the one saving grace of drum and bass though <laughs> this is a very controversial opinion that they've got i love a good foghorn but a lot of people say no it's what's destroyed drum and bass i disagree i think if people like it people like it you can't stop people liking foghorns but i know you said so many times that i'd hear a dj set and it's like boom tick boom tick boom tick and it's like foghorn it's like okay so you got the bum tick and the foghorn but what else are you gonna do and then they rip off some samples from a jungle tune from 1996. And I'm like, <laughs> you have zero creativity. Do you know the tune Lighter with that piano? Ding, 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 ding. If you take that piano, add some foghorn to it and add bum tick, bum tick, bum tick. It's like, no, sorry, but no. So it, it comes back to what we were saying earlier about making music for the dance floor and making music for the purpose of letting your creativity flow. I think these are tunes that are made for the dance floor because they know when you go to a strictly drum bass night, you're going to want to hear some folk horns, maybe. And everyone wants to have that tune that everyone gun fingers to, right? 
So they're not going to go and make anything weird or anything outside of the box. They're just going to make exactly what people want to hear. People are going to go and finger, people are going to dance, and that's that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're someone that is more interested into the creativity side of things and, and listening to something different and tunes that stand out, then it's probably not going to cut it for you. Another reason why I love this uh, this track is because it works well mixed in with any other drum and bass tunes. So, because it all sounds the same. Uh, <laughs> 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 when I when I bought these records, it's actually sort of inspired me to start uh, mixing vinyl. I don't mix vinyl on nights or you know at events because it's it's a bit of a nightmare. And uh, not that I get <laughs> much of an opportunity anyway to mix live drum and bass vinyl, but it's so fun to mix. It's fantastic to mix. I I always have a great time mixing drum and bass on, on vinyl. Vinyl, that's, a, that's an interesting topic as well. I gave up my vinyl years ago, years ago. Uh, never looked back, digital all the way. Why people use vinyl, I don't get it. So the way I look at it, right, and I mean, I've said this before to people, but if you only ever had digital music, if you only ever had, you know, stuff on laptops, stuff on CDs, etc., etc., right? If that was all that ever existed, vinyl never existed, and then someone suddenly invented vinyl and said, hey, look, this thing called vinyl. People are like, who are you, madman? Do you know what I'm saying? People are like, so what? You take this digital tune, you downgrade the audio quality, putting petrol on the fire here, right? <laughs> you downgrade the audio quality and you put it on a, a big piece of plastic. So I have to carry all this or several kilos worth of plastic with me. <laughs> and, you know, you bump the needle and the tune goes all over the place. Like, what are you thinking? It's because I think the seriousness to it, actually. One, it's way more challenging and way more fun to mix than mixing CDJs, for example. I'm bored of mixing on CDJs. I used to go to my uh, practice room and just have a three hour long mix on the CDJs. And now I, I don't see the point in it anymore because it's too, it's too easy. I, I don't challenge myself. And the second point would be, some people are just collectors. I'm a collector. I like collecting things. I like looking for things and adding to my collection, you know? And when your collection is something that you can, then that's, that's a great thing for me. Oh, great. I fully agree, fully agree. But in terms of the advantage of playing vinyl out at night or any, anywhere, really, there is probably none. <laughs> it's a purely selfish reason of, I want to be challenged and I like collecting things. And that's probably what, what the reason is for most vinyl DJs. I agree with you on all those points. I agree with you on all those points. See, for me, the thing I love DJing on digital is the fact that I can play 90 seconds of a tune and I'm onto the next tune. You can't do that with vinyl. Unless you're really good. <laughs> but I guess that's changed. If you look at the average amount of time a tune gets played out now versus probably 30 years ago, there's, there's a direct proportionality between the two. Right now you hear a tune for about maybe the first drop, second drop if you're lucky. So that's what, like 40 something seconds? Uh, that Stack and Skynet tune doesn't even start until one minute 40 something. <laughs> so you've got to sit there and listen to a minute of intro, which I like because it builds up the atmosphere. It, it leaves you wanting more and more and more and more and more. Whereas when it's drop after drop after drop after drop, there, there's no atmosphere there, there's no dynamics. And uh, yeah, I guess you can you can dance a bit more to it, but... It's a long debatable subject. Right now we're listening to Blackson Empire and Optive tunes called Insiders, another drum and bass roller. You were saying earlier, how come I chose such a mainstream act like Blackson Empire to put into this mix? And it's because they hold a special place in my heart, Blackson Empire. They're the reason why I got into listening to drum and bass. I remember being on a skiing holiday with a couple of my mates, it must have been about 15 or 16. One of them said, hey, listen to this. It goes really well with skiing when you're going dead fast. I was listening to Black Sun Empire and skiing down the slope in Romania, and it was amazing. It was That's when drum and bass clicked for me. Doing something like skiing that is adrenaline inducing and listening to drum and bass, it's a, it's a killer combo. And later on, I started going to this thing called Arena DMB, which is one of the first raves that I, I ever went to in Romania. At the time, you didn't need ID or you didn't need any sort of ticket or anything like that to go out. You could just rock up with a couple of pints in your bag and pay the ticket and just go in. And it was in this huge arena in Bucharest uh, that's kind of a bit, looks a bit like the Colosseum 
obviously not as not as impressive. That was one of my first raving experiences. I even seen Black Sun and Fire there, and you know, you, you never forget your first years going out and partying. They're always going to have a special place for you. But this tune in particular, I think, is similar to uh, the previous tune, Clockwork, in that it's got that groove. It's still got that that groove uh, on the on the beats. It's not just like you're saying, poof, paf, poof, paf, poof, paf. This is a groovy tune, and I'm I groove to it every time. I I head back, maybe not head back to it, but my head is bopping right now. <laughs> as well uh, in Eastern European countries and how they've adopted a lot of the underground rave music or you know drum and bass mainstream rave music whatever whatever you want to call it compared to say Western countries where I think you know they're more interested in the pop and people are more interested in you know looking good and what's mainstream and you know what's in the charts whereas in Eastern Europe you know I think in specifically Czech Republic is one of the countries I probably know best where they're just like, no, we don't do shit about any of that. We're more interested in the music and, you know, really just going for it. And, and, and uh, lyrical content as well is another big thing. You know, maybe if English isn't your first language, tunes that don't have lyrics in them is probably preferable over ones that do. I don't know. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. When I didn't speak English very well a couple of years ago, I would mostly listen to instrumental music, obviously, and metal as well. Come from a metal background where you can't even understand the lyrics even if you tried so but recently speaking english a bit better i think now i do listen to the message of the tune as well but i wasn't bothered i was enjoying and experiencing music without the uh, lyrical content before that's never been an issue for me and when i say lyrical content i'm talking about stuff that's more than just yo yo yeah where wicked you know i'm talking about stuff that's like actual lyrics that someone wrote down there's two kinds of people. A lot of people listen to the vocals and the instrumental is kind of more of a backing track there. And some other people listen more to the instrumental and the vocal is just a little, it's just another instrument. And I think I'm leaning more towards the, the second category. They are more interested in the in the music production of things rather than the, the voice or, or the, the message of the, of the song. I have a few CDs in my car. One of the CDs I have in my car is by Print Prod, which is one of the rap artists from Sukpuk Records. I don't know if the guy's rapping in Russian or Ukrainian or something else, but I have no idea. It sound, to me, it just sounds Russian. And I'm driving around in my car, you know, I've got, got it turned up. And I don't know if I'm driving around and like maybe some Russian people or people that speak the language are going, fuck it out, I can't believe he's playing that. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, Print Prod is badass, man. I love his stuff. Oh, man. 
So now we're getting into a bit of high tech. Yeah, I think we're still in the drum and bassy kind of territory. I love these tracks in particular. So this is Ruskaya Energia, the Ed Spinner remix. I love this track in particular because it combines again the eastern roots with the western roots to make a powerful drum and bass track. I kind of think it's four by four, so I'd put more of a techno rather than drum and bass. But you know, you could argue on genres all day, couldn't you? Talk genres all day. Yeah, genres are so fluid these days that I don't think it really matters anymore what something is, as long as it sounds banging. <laughs> I, I would say, to me, genre is a descriptive term rather than a pigeonhole. Yeah. Like, it's a chocolate cake, right? It's a cake that tastes of chocolate. It's just a way of describing something. It's like saying, am I going to the bakery or am I going to the sweet shop? But when you're in the bakery, you don't know what you're going to get. And they may sell sweets in the bakery. Yeah, <laughs> so you get a bit of everything, everywhere, all mixed together. You're right, actually, it's getting a bit more techy now. I love playing this tune out because, uh, honestly, it just goes really well with some of my other tunes. It's quite hard putting together a set that you've not played a few times before out of sort of hard, rave, Balkan music. There's not a lot out there. I always think with a scar sort of up, 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 up sort of uh, sound, you never go wrong, you know, with that basic pattern. Yeah, this, this one always gets people going 100%. Where do you get the name Glitch Trip from? That's a good question. A couple of times I've been in an altered state of mind and being a computer engineer as a job, my brain is very much working in zero and ones. And this one time I was in, like I said, I was in an altered state of mind and I was <laughs> I was inside Windows 95. <laughs> but it was all very glitched out and all, all weird and I kept clicking on things and going to the wrong place. And when when I sort of sobered up, I realized, wow, that was a that was a glitchy trip. And then that's where the name came from, to be honest. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, man. How many people work in IT that listen to rave music? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a serious connection there. Because rave music is very yeah. structured. It's obviously played through a click track. So I think to someone with a mind that is more sort of IT computer orientated, that just fits fits perfectly. And it's, it's perfect to work to as well. Oh yeah, I'm in IT as well myself. Uh, and as a developer, when you're sitting there, you know, you can sit there for hours on end listening to music while you're working away at the code. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably the best thing about <laughs> this job, to be honest, being able to sit down and blast music all day without anyone sort of bothering me or just asking things. I can just sit there, enjoy myself listening to music and do some work and my day goes in the split of a second. So now we're on to the real music, the real cream in the cracker, fat from us. This is Take Bass Away. Take Bass Away. Yeah, this is probably my favorite fat from us tune. I love it because it's so unexpected. It starts off with this kind of hip hoppy vibe and then, and then you get kick drums at 280 BPM that hit really hard. They've got this kind of modulation on, on it. I, I don't know exactly what it is. I, can't, I couldn't reproduce it even if I tried. Um, I also love this track because later on you get like this little um, sort of uh, Eastern European flute coming in. I'm not sure if it's a flute even. Like this little hook that just, yeah, this one. <laughs> it's just a vibe, like it just makes me groove. It makes me want to stand up and, and have a little uh, a little skunk. <laughs> What's going on? What is going on?
Obviously, since you uh, gave me this list of tunes, obviously things in Ukraine have changed quite a bit. Um, I don't want to go into it just too much detail. I think we're probably both on the same page with what's going on there. Yeah, it's terrible to hear, you know, Dima from us. Uh, he's out of the country, but his parents are still there, his mum's still there or something. Um, there's, there's nothing you can really say, is there? That you can't really put it into words, really. No, it's absolutely terrible. And I think Dima's doing what he can to uh, sort of help. Uh, he's putting together this event in Berlin in uh, on the 20th of May. It's called Fuck the War. And I think all the profit from that event is going to go to the Ukrainian um, refugees and just to help in general. So respect to him for doing that and for, uh, for carrying on doing what he does when the country is in this state. Yeah. I mean, something that I've been thinking a lot about as well is, you know, there are a lot of Russian people that would listen to this show. I don't know what they think about the whole war in Ukraine, but I think if anything, you know, we should build that bridge through music at least, you know, and, and if people listen to this music if they're in Russia, etc., you can't hold people accountable for what their governments are doing, basically. Otherwise, you can hold British people accountable for what Britain's done or what America's doing. Israel, so many, there's no country that's without shame in some respects, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Democracy used to mean power of the people, but I feel like most people don't have any power these days. Whatever their governments dictate that, and that's what's happened. And they, they get put in the same cauldron. I'm sure there's a kind of sort of stigma building up against Russian people now because of all of this news, but that's that's wrong. That's exactly the point I'm making, yeah. yeah. These people have no power in this, deciding these things. They're just people. They just live in their homes and carry on with their normal lives. And they've been affected a lot by it as well and i don't see anyone going oh the poor russian people that have, their economy is about to collapse how are they going to survive i can't imagine anybody that's listening to fat from us is suddenly thinking oh i love putin <laughs> <laughs> no so i've got a really nice memory of playing this tune um at a protest in liverpool city center so a couple of years ago there was a protest i'm not going to say who organized it <laughs> but uh, there was a protest with a sound system running on car batteries uh, against the Tory government and I remember being on the decks and playing this tune in Liverpool in the Liverpool City Centre right outside Primark where there was probably about two or three hundred people raving and dancing with uh, placards and signs and all sorts and it just felt surreal to be playing this sort of ravey Eastern European sounding tune in the middle of Liverpool City Centre it was just one of my favourite moments So this tune is probably my favorite tune that came out last year, or maybe two years ago. But this is the best tune that came out that year, 100%, because I love Cowbell. I've got a sticker on my band that says, need more Cowbell. <laughs> uh, in my band, we're a metal band, but we've got about five Cowbells in total. I just, lo I just love the Cowbell. It's the best percussion instrument ever. And this tune is full of it. This is Cowbell to the max, man. This <laughs> is my wet dream, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Suck Puck as a label, total respect for what they're doing over there. All the stuff that comes out, got to put your ears on everything that comes out from that label. Uh, it's, it's easily one of my favorite labels around at the moment. And I think it's impressive because to do this somewhere where, it, where there is very little history of rave music or anything to help in that respect. So for example, in the UK, there's always been a strong rape culture even since the 90s or even even before that if you want to start up and be a promoter then it's quite easy you've got djs to choose from if you want to start the label you've got loads of people that are already doing this that could help you and that you could collaborate with in eastern europe is a totally different story there is no history of you know rape music or maybe there is very very little of it and to build something from the ground up that is this strong and sort of widely recognized across Europe is just it's just impressive, man. Yeah, I've got a lot of respect for the Stuckbuck guys and I'm, I'm happy to be part of the collective and just contributing whatever I can to, to the pool of Eastern European rave sort of vibe. More cowbell. <laughs> that little bit. Could use more cowbell. Yep. Yeah. 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 
thing I love about breakcore, and honestly, I, I, I can just talk about breakcore all day, is changes. For me, any music I'm listening to, I need changes in it. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I probably this drum and bass or techno and stuff like that, is because it's five minutes and, and nothing happens. Whereas breakcore, something happens every 10 seconds. I think me and you probably love breakcore for the same reason. We've both got a very short attention span. <laughs> and uh, it's probably the reason why most people love yeah. breakcore. We want more and we want it now. We don't want to wait for the next section. We want the next section in the next second and then the next one in the next second. And so on. And, and this reminding myself of what, what my drumming style is like. I don't sit there and play a groove. I just I just do fills. That's what I do. I, I like variation and fast things. So yeah, break was perfect for that. It's probably why I naturally ended up making a lot of breakcore, because that's who I am. I, I like things moving fast. That, that was going to be a great track, guys. What's the deal? Uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but I could have used a little more cowbell. One, two, three, four. Are we going into metal or are we doing the crossover between metal and rave? So, Ulcerium, this guy is an absolute god. I think it's incredibly difficult to mix metal and electronic music. There's so much bad, 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 bad combination of metal. <laughs> oh, I completely agree with you. There's a lot of it that is really bad, but some of it is just amazing, like this one. Uh, he's, not, he's not a huge name. I, know, I think he should be. He's a producer from the Middle East and he now lives in Germany. He's from Tunisia. Yeah, and um, he uses mostly self-produced sounds. So almost everything that you hear in this tune is self-produced. He's probably made all the kicks, all the snares and everything, which is really impressive, I think. But to me, just mixing metal with breaker is it's great. It just puts together two things that I love into one solid package. And it's very hard to do as well. I like this. Wee, wee. That's really aggressive, but it's not too sharp. <laughs> Sounds like a theremin, doesn't it? Yeah. I wonder if it's a theremin. I was watching a documentary about Public Enemy and it was saying that one of the things that really made them stand out as a band or as a group was the, the siren noises that they would always have, you know, these really long, long piercing notes that they would have for all their music, you know? It's uh, something interesting to listen to, I think, sometimes. I'm a sucker for music documentaries, I tell you, I could watch music documentaries all day. I love them as well, but I can never seem to find the good ones. I, I might ask you for a couple of recommendations after the show. Well, I think Sound of Belgium is one of my favourites. Pump up the volume, it's on YouTube, it's three hours long and it talks about the history of uh, so much music, how dance music started really, you know, the before the warehouse and all that sort of stuff. Pump up the volume, great one. It's had so many good ones out there. Good one about the Beastie Boys as well, it's on Apple Play or something like that. That was really interesting as well, talking about the history of Beastie Boys. Yeah, I don't know, I could get lost in it all day. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'll be sure to check those out as well. I'm not much of a TV fan in general. I find it hard to sit there still and watch something for a prolonged period of time unless it really captivates me from the from the beginning. There's this TV show called, I think it's called uh, Diaries of the Tour Bus or Diaries from the Tour Bus. It's about a lot of funk artists from the 70s basically going on tour and doing all sorts of crazy things that people wouldn't really do today, like spending 60 days on tour on acid the entire time, dressing up in like mad costumes and just making incredible music and living in this sort of surreal fantasy world uh, and it just doc it sort of documents their their progress and how things sort of collapsed eventually <laughs> but it's interviews with these guys that went with them on tour so people like james brown 
he, he's on there. There's, there's a lot of great people there, so I, I could recommend that one. I've just finished reading the book Get in the Van by Henry Owens, which is the history of Black Flag and how they used to tour. I don't know if you know Black Flag, but a seminal punk hardcore band. And it was amazing, just like, you know, they did these tours for, like you say, for 90 days or for 60 days. And it was like just living in squalor, sleeping in a van, getting abused by the crowd. And you're kind of like for next to no money and just being absolutely destroyed by the end of the tour. But as soon as Henry says, as soon as he got home and he was back in his shed, he was like, this is boring. I want to go back out on tour again. Yeah, touring is so addictive. It's the whole feeling of adventure and you never know where you're going to sleep next and you never know what you're going to eat and who you're going to meet or who's going to try to start a fight with you and swear at you in a language that you don't understand. But it's hard. Like Doing 60 days is brutal, man. Uh, the longest I've been able to do was two weeks and I remember sleeping in this, uh, in this squat in Lithuania in sort of an underground room under the city where there was all the pipes that were running the, the heat and the, the water in the city and there was no windows there at all and I just had a sleeping bag on the floor and that was it and I just remember that moment being like this is horrible but for some reason that I don't understand I'm enjoying it <laughs> there's just something about it that you can't really put your hands on just probably the spirit of adventure that is quite hard to find these days even when you go traveling it's always a bit sort of um, Dictated. You go to a country, they tell you where to go, they tell you what to see, they tell you what to eat, they tell you where, where to sleep. It's not really, you don't really have much freedom of, you know, there's not there's not a lot that could go unexpected there. And I, I love the feeling of surprise, the feeling of unexpectation, not knowing what's going to happen next. Makes me feel creative and free. Mystery cuts, karate chop. This is really getting, getting into it now, isn't it? I remember seeing uh, Misery Cuts at one of the Sackpack events in Berlin a couple of years ago. It was a very small room, the size of, uh, say, a bit bigger than a home bathroom. Just <laughs> a very small room with a massive sound system in it. And Misery Cuts slamming these tunes for about an hour. And that was probably the most brutal set that I've ever seen in my life. It was just, I, I have no words to describe it. Um, it doesn't play very often and it just felt special for that reason. I don't think I've, I've seen, I've been able to see him again because he doesn't do that many shows. So yeah, Misery Cuts, super, super heavy, hardstyle. Would, would, would you call that hardstyle? I don't even know what to call it. I didn't never even heard of hardstyle. <laughs> there are more genres out there than could be named. I mean, if you go to dubstep even. Dubstep, oh yeah, dubstep, is, that's, that's quite an easy box. But no, you open the box of dubstep and there's like 20 different genres within dubstep, you know? Oh, wait until you, you open the box of metal. Even within sub subgenres, there's still a box of another 20 subgenres under under that. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what the reason for that is. It's kind of pointless at this point, isn't it? <laughs> We're running out of words to describe music. That's what that is. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. It had everything. So this is Nile Sacrifice onto Sebek. A bit odd to put a metal tune into this mix, but this band was actually the first band that I've ever seen live. On my own, I mean. My family would go to gigs all the time, but they were more kind of like boring dad music, kind of. This is the first gig that I ever went to on my own when I was about 14. I didn't know what to expect. My mate said, I was obviously into metal at that point, and my mate said, oh, come and see this band, they're really good. And like I said, in Romania, you didn't need any idea or anything to get into a club. So we got into this club, got a couple of beers, and oh my god, I did not know what to expect there. Everyone was uh, in a huge mosh pit. Um, it just felt very, very powerful. I remember being at the front and just, just watching these incredible musicians shred the shit out of their instruments. And I was like, wow, how is this even humanly possible? And I guess it inspired me to go on and make metal. <laughs> later on, but even now I listen to Nile all the time. They're one of the greatest um, death metal bands in the world, I think. And there's that feeling of, I found my people. 
yeah, I guess this is, we're near the end of the show now. This is a big rabbit hole that we could, we could go into. But yeah, finding people that enjoy the similar kind of music, you find that sometimes they enjoy other things other than music that you enjoy and you have a lot more in common. And that is why we are talking tunes. Yeah, exactly. I actually really enjoyed having a, a deep conversation about music because for some reason I, I don't seem to be able to have these conversations. Like, when not you ever sit down with people and just do nothing but talk about music for an hour straight? Like, I mean, obviously I do that sometimes, but it's it felt really good just to explore just at the end, just talking about music because we obviously we both obviously love it so much and it felt felt good. I was a bit nervous as well. I was like, am I going to have enough t- stuff to say or enough stuff to talk about? <laughs> same, exactly the same, yeah. yeah. But I think when you find someone that likes music and uh, if, you've made, if you're making music and, and all the rest of it, you're obviously passionate about music. And if you find people that are passionate about music, all you need to do is just crack open the, the tin, as it were, or crack open the box and then just let it pour out onto the floor. Glitch trip, we've come to the end of that one. Uh, thanks for taking the time to sit the call. It's been an absolute pleasure, Kushti. Thank you so much for having me. See you at Bankface. I'll see you at Bankface, man. Okay, see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>